Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So what are we talking about today? I wanted to talk about autoencoders, which is a special kind of neural net that is most commonly used for unsupervised learning, which is kind of cool. Awesome. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So unsupervised learning, just to make sure I remember right, unsupervised learning is when you have an algorithm that is training itself as opposed to a human giving it label, a labeled data set. Uh, yeah, I think for me, the key is, do you have labels to your data set or not? Um, okay. So implicitly with supervised learning, there's correct answers that you have to learn from, and you just have to learn the patterns in the data that allow you to predict what the correct answer is, speaking a little bit loosely. Uh, but with unsupervised learning, it's a little bit less well-defined exactly what it is you should be learning. There's usually the expectation that there's some kind of structure or there's some kind of interesting patterns in the data. But in this case, you don't have those labels there to guide you. Mm. So you're kind of pattern searching in the hopes that you'll come up with something uh, useful. Yeah. So a a good example here is probably something like clustering. Uh, You're looking for subgroups within your data that are distinct from each other and that have some internal consistency. Uh, And then there's also examples like principal components analysis or dimensionality reduction. So what are the big types of variants that we see in this data? And is there a representation of that data that might be a little bit more in line with those lower dimensional or latent representations or features? So with that little bit of intro, uh, we're talking about autoencoders today, which is a particular type of neural net that's designed for unsupervised learning. So I wanted to start with just a description of what an autoencoder is, and then we'll go into sort of how it works. So for those of you who are not familiar with neural nets, honestly, you might want to back up a little bit and spend a little bit of time Googling them or going to some of our earlier episodes about neural nets uh, just to get a little bit familiar with it. But the general idea is that you have usually a pretty high dimensional input layer that we call of input units, usually. And then there's what we call a hidden layer, which in this case for an autoencoder is a lower dimensional layer than the input layer. So if you have, say, 10,000 input dimensions, you might have 1,000 hidden dimensions. And then there's some kind of complex uh, like network of connections that attach your input layer to your hidden layer. And then there's a third layer, an output layer, which is usually the same dimensionality as the input layer in the case of an autoencoder. Um, and then uh, this kind of complex network of connections between the hidden layer and the output layer. So what you have is three layers. You have the two slices of bread, which are high dimensional on the input and the output. Uh, and then there's the layer of meat and cheese in the middle, which is the hidden layer, which is a lower dimensional layer than the other two. That's the general structure of an autoencoder in the most the most common case. So while a baker would beg to differ, um, it sounds like the the meat of it is in the center. What's actually happening? Sorry, I didn't mean for that to be so punny. It just came out that way. But um, um, yeah. like, why? I, I guess I guess I'm confused about why you would take something that's very high. I, I understand why you would take something that's high dimensionality, reduce it and then have it come out the other end at a lower dimensionality. But I don't really understand the the benefit of bringing it down and then bringing it back up again. Oh, well, see, that's exactly the point of the autoencoder. So we have basically an encoding that goes from the input layer to the hidden layer. So like you said, that's reducing down the dimensionality in hopefully some way that's 
interesting or that pulls out the most important features, latent or explicit, the most important features in the data. But the question is here, you always have to have some way of saying like, what makes a feature interesting? Uh, like, how do we, how does it know that it's on the right track in that hidden layer representation of the data? And so that's kind of the genius and why it's called the autoencoder is because that second layer that goes from low dimensional to high dimensional, we call this the reconstruction layer. And what that's trying to do is it's trying to create an output data set or an output representation that looks as close as possible to the input representation. So what it's trying to do is make a photocopy of the data that got sent in. That photocopy is what gets sent out, but the data had to pass through this bottleneck in between. And so the closer we can get the output data to look like the input data, that's kind of the metric here that says that we're on the right track. Still missing something fundamental, but if you uh, like, if you have a piece of paper and then you go to photocopy it, right? And I actually kind of like that metaphor because when you photocopy something, it's a lossy process. You lose some details. Uh, so if you have the original, why photocopy it in the first place? If the goal is to get your photocopy to look as close as as possible to the original, why not just skip the whole process of auto encoding and just use the original? Oh yeah, because you don't use the photocopy. The photocopy just helps you know that the photocopying process is working well. Um, and then it's usually the hidden layer is where you actually use the the algorithm, if this makes sense. Oh, oh, interesting. So are you saying that your algorithm might want to work with lower dimensional data? Uh, well, so your algorithm is forced to reduce the dimensionality um, mm. because you've explicitly built an architecture that bottlenecks it at that head, at that hidden layer. So it has to make hard choices to get through the hidden layer to the output layer. Um, and what you say is that subject to this constraint of the low dimensional hidden layer, I want you to do the best job that you can mm. at reproducing the data when you do that reconstruction step. And so then the hidden layer is what you're really interested in. Like, if you make an output that looks similar to the input, the implication there is that the hidden layer has learned some interesting or useful generalizations and, and patterns in the data. And that's what you're really after is those generalizations and patterns, not the output mm. itself. So when I, I see, so your hidden layer basic, so I'm, I'm going to like translate it to non data science -y language, and maybe you can tell me how off base I am. Um, but it, it feels almost as if the hidden layer simplifies your data and if it simplifies it really really well then you're actually able to pretty much get the original data from the simplified data and so if you can indeed uh reconstruct something that looks very similar to the original from this simplified version then you could just work with the simplified version and know that all of the data is somehow still there and maybe even there are uh patterns that are uh that are stronger uh, or identified in that hidden layer that you didn't originally have. Yeah, that's right. So this is the general idea of a lot of dimensionality reduction algorithms. So, for example, PCA is another dimensionality reduction where you Pr try to find... Principal component analysis. Yeah, principal component analysis. Thank you. Uh, and the whole idea there is that you try to find dimensions of the input data that maximize the explained variance so that then when you represent the data with just those principal components instead of the original dimensions, uh, you might only have 
a small fraction of the dimensions to represent the data, but it's doing a reasonably good job. Like it'll be a little mm. bit lossy, as you said, you should assume that that's going to happen, but you're sort of minimizing that loss. Mm. Uh, and so in fact, actually autoencoders, if you pick the right structure of the neural net, uh, the right loss function for when you're training and the right activation function for how you connect the neurons to each other, then you can actually reproduce PCA with an autoencoder, uh, which is kind of funny. Uh, so it's the same general idea, though, is that uh, you set yourself kind of a budget for how many dimensions you're allowed to have in the middle. Um, and like I said, with autoencoders, the thing that's kind of cool is that you're trying to reproduce the data uh, subject to that constraint of the hidden layers. So that hidden layer, again, depending on exactly how you've built the algorithm, can give you things that are sort of like clusters. It can give you things that are sort of like principal components. Uh, latent trait analysis is another type of data science or dimensionality reduction that you might do. It can reproduce something that's pretty similar to that. So the the whole idea here, though, is that generally this is kind of a cool architecture for using neural networks to do some of those unsupervised tasks. So that's the general idea of autoencoders. There's a couple of words I want to toss out here just for anyone who wants to go read this on their own. So the first is the idea of undercompleteness, which we've been alluding to this whole time, but it's the idea that the hidden dimension should be, or the hidden units should be lower dimensionality than the input and output, um, so that you're actually creating that bottleneck. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the first thing that is sort of implied a lot of times when you're talking about autoencoders. The second thing, and this is in a similar vein, is that very often if you have a sparse autoencoder, that can nudge you a little more towards finding interesting stuff. So this is effectively saying that we're going to penalize large weights on those connections between the layers. Um, and what this does is it effectively forces the neural net to choose what it wants to be good at because it can't be good at everything. It can't win everywhere. So mm. if you have sparsity constraints or some regularization on your autoencoder, that can uh, try to nudge it in a direction that I would think of as a little bit more interesting. And then the last thing that I want to talk about, and then we'll call it a day, uh, is a special kind of autoencoder that I just think is really cool. It's called a denoising autoencoder. Denoising? Yes. So what denoising is, is you send a corrupted version of the input data into the algorithm. So you add some noise to it somehow. And you ask the autoencoder through the the loss function, basically, to give you back a version of the same data, but where that corruption has been removed, which is kind of cool. So imagine that you oh, send in wow. a photograph and you randomly flip some of the uh, the polarity of some of the, the bits in that autoencoder. So you have black pixels and you turn them white and you have white pixels that you turn them black, you know, 1% of them or something. Mm -hmm. And you say, hey, autoencoder, give me back what I sent into you, but as much as possible, remove that noise. And I'm going to incentivize you like sort of with the loss function to, to do that. Uh, so that's kind of a neat way also that you can, that you can train these things uh, is you ask them not just to reproduce the data that you sent in, but reproduce and correct the data that you sent in, which is kind of cool. That is really cool. Uh, yeah. The, the name makes a lot more sense now that we've talked about it, that it is uh, at, at first, I guess I thought like, what is it? What is it? doing automatically what is it encoding but it's called an autoencoder because it automatically encodes itself yep 
Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.